by a thread, but I am, I'm, I'm still here. I'm just kidding. I'm not hanging on by a thread. I was yesterday, but um, today I'm good. I've got my sugar-free Red Bull next to me. It's not like midnight or 1 a.m. It's literally 2.38 p.m. in the afternoon, and I've already resorted to artificial energy. So if you are new to my podcast, I want to first of all say welcome And if you're looking for a podcast that's all about natural and clean living, I want to say goodbye. (laughs) I'm just kidding, kind of. But I normally don't drink Red Bull. I actually haven't drank Red Bull since I was in high school, but I recently picked it back up again since becoming a mom. Because to be honest, the past five months have really felt like survival mode on some days. If you don't know... um, Brent and I moved to Clarksville, Tennessee shortly after having Bobby. I mean, it felt like I walked out, like I got wheeled out of the hospital and then kind of thrown into a moving truck. When I replay it in my mind, that's how I see it happening. Everything happened very fast, very quickly. We packed up all of our things in Dayton, Ohio, and we moved down to Clarksville, Tennessee with a fresh baby. So we have had so many changes, so much transition the past five months. And that's why I've been absent on my podcast. And I kept telling myself that once I lay Bobby down for bed at the end of the day, that that's when I'm going to sit down and finally record. And I would wake up and I'd be like, okay, today's the day. Once I get him down for bedtime, then I'm going to, I'm going to go downstairs. I'm going to sit down and record. But then after I lay him down for bed, I want to go to bed. Like the last thing that I want to do is record a podcast episode. But Brent and I just started this new schedule because we are in the busiest season of our entire lives. We are in the process of planting a church, which I'm not going to talk much about at all on this episode, but I am going to be talking about that on the next episode. Brent is also going to be on that, um, that one with me, but this is the busiest we've ever been. It's felt like the most chaotic it's ever been. I think church planting alone is crazy. Then you add a newborn into the mix, um, especially as first time parents. It's felt like there's been days where we are drowning in the ocean, and instead of somebody throwing us a life raft, they throw us a baby. <laughs> it's like, oh, this is going to help. This is good. This will help the situation that we're currently in. But even though it has been overwhelming at times, I have never felt in my life like I am exactly where I'm supposed to be at the time that I'm supposed to be there. That peace has given me such confidence in this season of our lives. Even down to the time that our son was born, I believe that he's here on the planet exactly when God destined him to be here on the planet. I believe that the three of us are living in this city at the exact time that we are supposed to be living in this city. That's why despite the fact that there are days that are not easy, I have so much confidence that we are exactly where we are supposed to be at the exact time that we're supposed to be there. 
I'm not sure of a lot of things right now, but I am, I am sure of that. One thing I started doing in the evening is reading to Bobby before bedtime. And the other night I grabbed this book called Just In Case You Ever Wonder by Max Licato. And I'm like, oh, this looks cute. So I start reading it to him and I get to page three and I'm like, oh my gosh, like I'm getting kind of emotional reading this. And then by like page seven, I'm like, just in case you ever wonder how much I love you. And, you know, Bobby's like drooling and grabbing at the pages. He doesn't really know where he is. Um, And I'm behind him having this like mild emotional breakdown while reading this book. But I do recommend the book because it is very sweet. And if you are less emotionally fragile than I am, um, I highly recommend it. So maybe I'll go back and read it to him another time when I'm not um, the way that I am. I don't know. I don't know where I was going with that. Maybe I'll change. But becoming a mom has just wrecked me in ways that I never thought possible. But I want to start by sharing something very positive from my experience because to be honest, I debated on whether or not I even wanted to record this episode and share parts of my story that are not positive. Because when I was an expecting first-time mom like yesterday, I remember other women sharing the awful and traumatic parts of their labor and delivery, thinking that somehow I'm going to walk away feeling encouraged or empowered. And I wasn't. I mean, you're just, you're not. You're you're scared. <laughs> We're scared when we hear those stories and we feel anxious and we should keep stories to ourselves that are not positive when talking to first-time pregnant moms, really any any pregnant women, but especially first-time moms, if you don't have anything positive or encouraging to say to them, don't say anything at all. This is an experience that you are walking into just blindly. And you know that there are possibilities that things could go completely different than the way that you want them to go. And you're kind of trying to prepare yourself for anything and just hearing stories like that that are not positive. They're really fear inducing. So I'm going to start off by sharing the best part of my experience, and then I'm going to share the rest of my experience. I wanted to give anyone who wants the opportunity to opt out of listening to everything I'm going to share to stop listening after I share the best part. And keep in mind, this is my experience. This is not everyone's experience, and people's everyone's story is different. However, I remember when I was pregnant and I came across a TikTok or an Instagram post that made me feel anxious about giving birth, that was anxiety-inducing, that was life-draining and not life-giving, I'd scroll past it immediately or I'd click the tab that says, I'm not interested in this post, show me less of this post. Now, to fast forward through everything that I'm going to share later in the episode and jump to June 3rd at about 2.45 a.m., absolute best part of my experience was the actual birth of Bobby. I had I had an epidural, so it was completely painless. Um, he was brought into the world in just complete peace. I remember just laughing. Brent and I were laughing about something in between contractions, 
and I could not feel anything. And I, I did feel the urge to push, with, which is really strange, not being able to feel pain, but feeling like, oh my God, like this overwhelming feeling like I have to push. And every time I would say that, they would all look at the screen because they would see that I had a contraction that was coming. And every time, I, I, I think it was like, I pushed maybe three or four times and um, he was he was out, and I felt nothing. Um, there was no screaming, no pain, no birthing trauma. He came out in a few pushes within 20 minutes, and it honestly would have been shorter, but we were waiting for my doctor to come. And it's funny because the nurse said, I, I felt the urge to push, and she was like, hold on, you need to wait. The doctor isn't here yet. And I was like... I, I cannot wait. I have to push. Like I, my body is involuntarily going to push this baby out. And so I think I could have, it would have been a shorter amount of time, um, even less than 20 minutes and less than four or five pushes if we didn't have to wait for my doctor. I mean, when he was ready to come, he came and they, he came out, they laid him on my chest. It was this beautiful moment my body did everything it was supposed to do at the time that it was supposed to do it. And I really don't think it could have gone better. It was the delivery of my dreams. It was, I mean, honestly, it was better than what I even imagined. The delivery portion. When he came into this world, it was better than I could have ever dreamt it to be. Every prayer that Brent and I laid in bed and prayed for nine months was answered at that time. There was no pain no stitches, no screaming. When they turned off my epidural, I still wasn't having pain. Within, I think it was maybe three hours of having him, two or three hours of having him, I was up walking around. I was able to take a shower, which felt life-changing. I was very mobile within two or three hours of having him. Um, which I wasn't expecting because I feel like I've heard over and over again, well, the downside of having an epidural is you can't get up right away and take a shower. And I did. I, I got up, which I wasn't trying to jump out of bed right after I had him anyway, <laughs> but I had to lay there for a little, you know, two, maybe two, three hours to let the epidural wear off and just spend time holding him and snuggling him. And then I was able to get up, walk around, take a shower, I was standing when my family came in, walking around, um, and I had I had no pain, no birth pain whatsoever. In fact, that night when we got transferred to, I forget what it's called. I think it's like the postpartum floor or the, I don't remember what it's called, but we got transferred to a room um, later that day. And in the evening, I had a question about Bobby that I wanted to go ask. And so I picked him up and I started walking through the halls and I walked up to the front desk and I was carrying him. And this nurse looked at me and gasped. She was like, oh, you're not, you, you can't be carrying him. You just, you, it hasn't even been 24 hours since you gave birth. You, you have to have him in his bassinet and push him. And I was like, oh, I'm sorry. Like, I didn't know the rules, but I felt totally fine to get up and walk around. They kind of make a pad for you and they had dermaplast and you know all these things on it 
And I remember thinking, like, I'm not, I'm not even having any pain. I, I put it on because I just wanted to cooperate, but I, I didn't have any pain, even right, even a few days after having him. I did have pain later. Um, I had pain a few weeks or maybe a week after having him, but I'll share a little bit more about that as we get deeper into the episode. So now is your chance. If you don't want to hear the bad and the ugly of my labor experience, I want to give you the opportunity to turn this episode off, which is not something you have the luxury of doing when you're talking to someone face-to-face and they're telling you the worst story you've ever heard. But if you don't want to hear the parts of my labor story that were very traumatic for me, um, I want to give you the opportunity to turn it off now. I was 41 weeks and two days when I went to the hospital to be induced on June 1st, early in the morning, um, and then I wasn't discharged until June 4th, late in the afternoon, and no, I did not have a C-section. I was just in labor for so long that I had a C-section stay, and when it was all said and done, I did say that I wish I would have gone in that morning on June 1st with a scheduled C-section because Even my sister, who's had two C-sections, who was there for my whole labor and delivery experience, said that she would take her C-sections any day over what I went through. And I will not be getting induced again. I mean, unless that baby is at a gestational age where it can do long division in my womb, I will go into labor naturally with our next baby. And again, this was my experience. I know some women who get induced no issues in and out of there, but that was not, that was not me. He was just not ready to come out. So we get to the hospital and I get checked in. I'm walking up to our room where, where we're going to actually have the baby. And as I'm walking through the hospital, I'm just under my breath. I'm speaking over myself. I'm praying over myself. I'm saying, I carry the peace of God with me everywhere I go. No weapon formed against me shall prosper. My body was made for this. There's strength in my body. There's peace in my mind. And as soon as we get in our room, the woman in the room next to us is screaming at the top of our lungs. And I looked over at Brent and I was like, I can't do this. I don't want to be here. I want to go home. It's like, wait, what happened to that girl 30 seconds ago who was declaring that there was peace and she's gone. Okay. It's me here now. And I am scared. I have no peace. I do not want to do this. So I look at the nurse who was getting me checked in, like taking my blood pressure, drawing blood, all the things. I look at her and I said, hey, so the chances of me ending up like that woman next in the room next to me with me having an epidural are like, what would you say? And I'm trying to get her to like break character a little bit, you know, and look at me and be like, listen, girl, if you get the epidural, I promise you will not, you know, that's not going to. And she did. She was very... She said, well, you know, I, I don't think she has an epidural personally. You know, it's not typical for women. And I'm like, just, just, I need you to be my girlfriend right now. Like, I don't need you to be my nurse. I'm scared to death. Please tell me that if I get the epidural, that is not going to be me. And the screaming continued for hours, for hours while we were there. And in the room, it was me, Stefan, my sister, and Brent, and we're just listening to this whole story unfold. 
And then finally, a few hours later, we hear her screaming really loud. And then all of a sudden, we hear this baby crying. <laughs> and all three of us burst into tears because it was like we were in this with her. Like we were so in this moment with her. But it was a very unsettling thing to walk into as a first-time mom giving birth. So the nurse comes in, and I might as well have been negative dilated. I mean, I was, I was nowhere near where I needed to be. In my mind, I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to go in. They're going to do a few things. They're probably going to break my water. And sometime this evening, I'm going to have him. That's, that's in my mind what I'm thinking is going to happen with me going in and being induced. So the nurse, she checks me and she goes, okay, we're going we're gonna to try something called Cervidil and I'm going to place the Cervidil. And then she said, and then I'm going to check it in about 12 hours. And I look over at Brent, I'm like, 12 hours? I won't be here in 12 hours. I, I got to go. I'm not, I'm not going to be in this position in 12 hours. So it was disheartening, but I accepted that I was going to be there for at least 12 more hours. So they placed the Cervidil. It was uncomfortable being placed. Um, It was nothing in comparison to what I was about to experience in the hours to come. And it kind of felt like an ongoing bee sting. Um, Not in your arm or your hand, but felt like an ongoing bee sting for that 12 hours. And my sister and I, we were trying to do things to pass the time and we're all kind of just accepting, yeah, we're going to be here a while. Like Stefan, she brought books. Brent, they, they both brought... I was the only one who didn't bring a book. I, I wasn't expecting to be there for three days. Um, I was expecting to go in and have a baby, not increase my knowledge on the five steps of a healthy leader. So my sister and I were trying to do some things to pass the time. Brent had left to pick up lunch and... We were like, what if we made a TikTok video with no intention of posting it? This is something we've never done before, by the way, because we're grown women. But I'm like, what if we made a TikTok video of us dancing just for our personal memories to look back and be like, oh my gosh, remember when you know I was in labor, I went in to have the baby, and we were just complete idiots. So we start trying to learn how to do this TikTok dance and we're standing there and the nurse hadn't been in for a long time. Like she was, I thought they're not going to come check on me because I'm going to be in here for 12 hours and I'm not even dilated. I think I was dilated like half a centimeter. So we're in like the thick of this TikTok dance. Keep in mind, I'm 41 weeks pregnant, massive, like doing this teenage girl weird thing with my sister (laughs) and the nurse walks in. And we both freeze and look over at her. And I was like, I'm sorry, we're not, this is not like, we don't do this, but we are making a TikTok right now. She was like, oh, how fun, you guys, whatever. And I'm, you know, my sister and I are just like, oh my gosh, we are so dumb. She probably walked out of the room and quit. Like that was probably her last day on the job. Like she does not, she doesn't need to be dealing with people like us, grown women doing TikTok dances in the hospital which neither one of us could actually get the moves down. Like, it's a very difficult thing to get. We ended up just stopping completely because we were like, oh, we don't have it. We don't, we don't have the dance moves down. So around 10, I believe, around 10, 10.30, um, they came back in to remove 
this is 10.30 p.m., 12 hours had gone by. They came in to remove the Cervidil and to check where I was at, and I think I was at like a one and a half, which was extremely discouraging. Um, again, it wasn't the worst pain I'd ever felt. It was just, it was painful, and I had endured that for 12 hours, hoping the outcome would be, oh, wow, you're now at a five, or even a four would have been better than one and a half. And before going into the day, I told my sister and I told Brent, I said, I do not want the Foley balloon. I do not want to get that. I had never heard a good thing about it. And I said, I, I don't want to get it. I had no idea just how bad I didn't want to get it at the time. I just knew that I, it was something that I was not looking forward to if, if I had to get it placed. So I went to the restroom. I came back out. And the Foley balloon was sitting on my bed and I just picked it up when I looked at my sister and Brent and I was like, no, I'm not doing this. Um, I would in fact do it, <laughs> but I didn't want to. So the night shift nurse comes in and says, hey, we're going to place this, this Foley balloon. Um, and you can do your own research on what that is and how it works. I'm trying to keep everything PG, but having that placed was one of the most painful things. I've ever experienced in my life, just having it placed. And I had to call Stefan and Brent over to the bed as it's being placed. And I'm holding their hand. I'm sweating, like sweat beads on my forehead. I've got both of their hands and I am being extremely vocal on just how painful it is. I will say, I think the pain of having the Foley balloon placed depends on a few things. I think it depends on what point you are at in your labor. I think it depends on who administers it. At one point, I was like, do I owe this woman money? Do I remind her of somebody who used to make fun of her? Like, it was aggressive. It was intense. About two, it was two, or two to five minutes after having that placed, it sent me into full-blown labor. Like, contractions were seconds apart. Um, I was, I couldn't catch a break before the next contraction would come and they were off the screen. You know, you can look at the screen and see when the contraction is coming. You can see, um, the severity of it. They were like mountains with a peak at the top. They were off the screen. They were so intense. And I was just trying to catch my breath within the probably seven to 10 seconds that I had between these awful contractions. And I'm trying to tough it out because at that point I wasn't dilated a lot. And the end game for me was the epidural. It never was in the plan to not get an epidural. That was always the end game. But I was trying to wait until I was dilated a little bit further. I wanted to labor for a while naturally, get to a place where I was dilated you know, maybe even a six or a seven, and then get the epidural. It got to the point where the contractions were so intense and so painful that I just started throwing up. I was in so much pain. And finally, I look at Brent and Stefan, and I'm like, just, I want the epidural now. Like, I need, and they were just, they were dying for me to say that. They were, at one point, the nurse actually looked at me and said, it's okay to get the epidural now. It, it's okay if you want to get it right now. But I was trying to stick it out. And find, once I started vomiting, that was kind of it for me. I was like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get, I need the epidural now. So the anesthesiologist comes in 
And all of us are thinking, okay, we, this is all about to be over. You know, I'm going to be completely out of pain, out of misery. So when they sit me down on the bed, it was almost like there was kind of this calm before the storm that was going to happen because we were like, okay, we're going to all be able to rest after this. Stefan and uh, Brent were exhausted. I was exhausted. At this point, it's, I think it was around 2 a.m. So I sit down on the bed. The anesthesiologist gets behind me. I am not worried whatsoever. In fact, I told Brent, I said, the part that I'm least concerned about is getting the epidural. Like I know a lot of people are afraid of getting it, but needles don't, they don't really scare me. They don't bother me. I know that they numb you before they actually insert the large needle. And so I was not, it wasn't a thought in my mind really going into my labor and delivery experience. Um, I just knew that that, the epidural, was going to make it a whole lot better. So I have my, I've got a pillow in front of me. Brent is standing in front of me and she gives me the lidocaine shot. And immediately after the lidocaine shot, and Brent can attest to this and my sister can attest to this as witnesses, immediately after she gives me the lidocaine shot, she puts the syringe down and she picks up the epidural needle and begins inserting it right away. Now, I am not numb whatsoever at this point. I am feeling this 12, no, hang on, I got to pull up my chart. I'm going to read from my medical chart because I don't want to get anything wrong. Okay. It was a 17 gauge needle and you guys know the epidural, or if you don't know, the epidural needle is quite longer and bigger than a normal needle. It's a lot more hollow. And I am feeling this needle at full strength go into my spine with no numb, no numbing whatsoever. And I start screaming at the top of my lungs. I mean, screaming like I've never screamed before. Upon further research, when it was all said and done after that, after I had him and everything, they are supposed to wait a certain amount of time to allow the lidocaine shot to take effect. And then typically they will do a test on your back and ask if you can feel it. So I don't know if it was the end of this woman's shift. I don't know if she had a bad day. I don't know what happened, but I could feel the entire needle going in my spine and she pulled it out and then she tried to do it again. And again, I am screaming at the top of my lungs and I look up and Brent is as white as a ghost. I mean, he looked like he was going to pass out. And before I knew it, he just walked away from me. Like he was there (laughs) and then he was gone. I could elaborate a lot more on this moment. Um, To be honest, it was extremely traumatic for me. It's funny because, well, I didn't mention what happened to Brent. He, he's alive still. <laughs> he ended up being okay. He was sweating and looked like he was going to pass out. And so he excused himself from the situation. <laughs> I, I don't feel bad for him um, <laughs> because of the amount of pain that I was in. But after talking to him about it, he felt like they were going to like what was happening was going to paralyze me. Like something was going seriously wrong and they were, I was never going to be able to walk again or it went in my spine a weird way. Um, And at one point, the woman, um, she asked me in an extremely rude and condescending way. She said, what are you feeling? And I whipped my head around and I was like, pain. 
I am feeling pain. I said, I need more lidocaine. I can feel the needle. I said, please give me more lidocaine. And she goes, I will, but you have to cooperate. You have to arch your back. You have to. So to say that she was unpleasant in a, in a moment where I just really needed somebody to be, to have bedside manner, any level of bedside manner um, is, is an understatement. It took several attempts. Um, I believe my sister said it took about 40 minutes total to administer, to get everything placed where it needed to be because um, she had to poke me several times. And um, it was probably one of the worst moments of my life. It's so ironic that the thing that I was least concerned and least worried about in my whole experience ended up being the most catastrophic. That was the worst thing that happened, the, the whole experience. When I went back and was reviewing some of the notes from my chart, um, some of the medical notes, sh- the anesthesiologist was very dishonest with um, what actually happened. It said patient was cooperative, patient was, um, it said it took one attempt, that there were no complications. And just to paint the picture for you, when I got in that morning, my blood pressure was like 121 over 83. After the epidural was placed, they took my blood pressure immediately and it was 160 over 98. My heart rate had skyrocketed and Bobby's heart rate had dropped. My resting heartbeat was 102. Clearly, this is a situation where there were complications. It did take more than one attempt. And the patient, me, was not okay. I've never heard of anyone experiencing this while receiving an epidural. It's not normal. It's not common. There were definitely complications that day. Um, So if you're listening and you're like, oh my gosh, no, I don't want to get the epidural. This will not happen to you. All of my friends who delivered at this hospital, none of them had the woman that I had. They all had a guy, um, and he was great. I got to meet him later, and um, basically through like my IV or something, or through the catheter, was able to give me more because I was in labor for so long after that. Um, but this is not a common thing that happened, and it definitely was the worst thing that I experienced. And the, the contractions were awful. They were so painful. Um, They were intense. Most women don't have those contractions until right before they deliver. I I wanted the moment of like where you see the doula like rubbing the woman's back and she's kind of swaying back and forth and, you know, her husband's like rubbing her head. It's in black and white. There's like soft piano music playing. Like I wanted that type of labor. I wanted to labor in that way. And definitely didn't go that way. Everything went zero to 100 with catastrophic contractions um, with, within minutes. Even with that, my experience with the epidural was 100 times worse. I've never been in that much pain in my life. I've never felt like somebody was slowly stabbing me in my spine with a sharp knife. So after I get the epidural and I'm laying down in bed, I'm at this point, I'm out of pain, but my body and my emotional state, I had experienced so much trauma that my body was like vibrating. So it took a while for me to come down from that. 
And once I did, we were finally able to get some rest. And I remember I was starving. And so I look at Brent and I'm like, what's for dinner? I wasn't thinking when I got the epidural that I would not be able to eat until I delivered him. Do you know what my last meal was? Do you know what the meal was that I went out on before I didn't get to eat for two days? Being nine months pregnant, it was a grilled chicken salad. And I vomited it all up. And it, it wasn't even good. Wasn't good going in, wasn't good coming out. So we all go to bed. I go to bed starving. We wake up. It's Thursday morning. My doctor comes in. He checks me. I was at a four. They had started me on Pitocin at some point throughout that night. And he came in, he broke my water, and he upped my Pitocin. So I was on Pitocin starting sometime around um, 4 a.m. after I got the epidural until um, all the way up until I delivered him on Friday morning at 3.55 a.m. So Thursday was pretty much uh, it was a chill day. Um, Brent and I watched Downton Abbey and we were relaxing all day. They were coming in to check me often because Bobby's heart rate kept dropping because of the level of Pitocin that I was on. So they would, his heart rate would drop and then a bunch of nurses would come in. They would lower my Pitocin. His heart rate would stabilize. They would increase my Pitocin. It would drop again and just like on and off. And I thought, I'm surely I'm going to have a C-section. Like this is going to end in a C-section. So I had already kind of mentally prepared for that. And Thursday evening, I think I was only dilated like a six at that point. And a nurse came in and told me that I was running a temperature, that I had a fever. And it was likely that I had an infection in my uterus. And once I had Bobby, that they were going to have to take him away and put him in the NICU for 24 hours and pump him with antibiotics. So I start just sobbing. I mean, at this point, it's, it's Thursday night. Um, we had been there since early Wednesday morning. I'd gone to hell and back between those times. And now they're telling me that I have an infection, I'm running a temperature, and they're probably going to have to take Bobby away from me right after he's born. And so I'm just, I'm very emotional. I'm tired. Uh, my body is still experiencing intense contractions. I'm just unable to feel them. So it would be like if your whole arm was numb and it continued to work out, you're going to feel that eventually after everything wears off. So I told Brent and I told my sister, I said, text everyone we know and tell them to pray right now that my fever goes away. Because they told me, they said, we're going to come back in in two hours and we're going to check your temperature again. So we had a prayer chain going that my temperature would go down. They came back in took my temperature again, and it had gone down. And I just said, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Which, by the way, I told Stefan and Brent, I said, don't think that I won't embarrass you and pray in tongues loudly in this hospital room if I need to, because I will. But temperature had gone down, and at this point, I am just starving. I have never had hunger pains like this in my life. I did have the epidural, but I still felt the hunger pains. And I had the best labor and delivery nurse that, which I saw like every single shift, right? Like I saw every shift that came in because I'd been there for so long. And the 
woman that was there for the actual delivery, she was the best labor and delivery nurse. And I was trying to get her to allow me to have some food. She came in the room and I was like, Tori, come here. I'm like, hey, what are the chances of me getting something like other than juice right now? Like what, what can we do about this? I won't tell anyone. You don't have to tell anyone. In fact, I will, I will write you the best review on Yelp that you've ever seen. I will contact your higher-ups and tell them that every labor and delivery nurse needs to be measured by you, and I will never tell anyone that you allowed me to have food. She did not allow me to have food. So she walked out. It's late at night. Brent is asleep, and I was like, Brent. I was like, come here. I said, before she comes back in here, said, you are going to get, you are going to put Cheez-Its in my bed. You're going to put a couple Cheez-Its right here under the blankets and I'm going to eat them. Brent also would not allow me to have food. I guess there's like a choking risk if you're, if you end up having to have a C-section. And I'm like, if I choke, I choke. I'm starving to death right now. So a few hours after I tried to bribe everyone in the room for food, um, I felt this intense pressure that I had already kind of talked about, but I felt like this intense, intense pressure. And I just knew I was like, he's, he's coming. I, I knew that it was him coming down and getting ready to come out. So I called the nurses, like press little call button. And I think it was within 30 minutes of that. Well, the nurse came in and she checked me. She said, oh, yeah, mama, you are at a 10. It's go time. And that is the best thing anyone has ever said to me. After going through what I went through, it was like, thank you, God. We finally arrived at this moment. And the rest was one of the best experiences of my life. The things that that followed that moment where it was the easiest part of the whole experience. Pushing him out, delivering him was literally the easiest, most painless part of the entire experience. And knowing what I know now, I will do things differently next time. Um, yes, there will be a next time. We, I want more kids. Um, I think I want more kids than Brent does. So he wants like one more. I want like three more. So we'll settle on having three more. Not anytime soon. I think we, we want to wait Um, just a little bit because this season that we're in right now is demanding so much from both of us. And the next year that we're about to walk into will be demanding so much from both of us. So we want to wait just a little bit, but I will be doing things differently next time. I have more knowledge now, more information um, after walking through it. So I fully believe that my next labor and delivery experience will be so much smoother than this one. But when it was all said and done, he is here. He's healthy. He is the happiest, most smiley baby I have ever seen. And everyone that meets him says the same thing, that he is just remarkably smiley. For time's sake, I don't think I'm going to be able to talk about postpartum in this episode. I don't like my episodes to be too long. So I'm going to have to save that for a different episode. But I do want to talk about postpartum. I do want to talk about what that was like for me because it wasn't what I expected. And there are some things that I wish I would have known at the time that I know now that I think the episode on postpartum 
will be really helpful for other women. Um, this is just my labor and delivery story. I don't know if it's helpful for anyone um, or if it's just information that you gained about my labor and delivery experience. But the next episode on postpartum, I think will be it'll be very helpful because I wish I could go back and say some things to myself five months ago that, that I know now. Thank you for listening today. Thank you for listening to the good parts of my story. And thank you for hanging in there for the traumatic parts of my story. Stay tuned for the next episode. I promise it will be way more encouraging. Thanks for listening today. And if you'd like to be notified when a new episode is released, you can subscribe to this podcast and follow me on Instagram at Celeste underscore Ely.